everybody to episode 11. Yes, episode 11 of Kellinoy with Birding Cam. And this is your boy Bird with me. They're often funny, well, sometimes funny, and always beautiful. Cam, Cam, how you doing? No, I am hilarious all the time. Oh, so, other than that, good. It's yeah. Friday, we got a three day weekend. So yeah, TGIF. TGIF. And this has been a. Uh, Boy, this has been a very eventful last couple of days since we did the 10th episode. Oh, boy. Oh, man. It's busy. I thought for the longest time yesterday was, or Wednesday was Thursday. It was fucking insane. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, guys, if you guys, if you remember, if you guys haven't heard, the, or if you did hear our last episode, we profiled the case of Drew Peterson. I almost said Scott Peterson. We will give him that name. We will, because there's a correlation to this, but we profiled Drew Peterson. He was a Bolingbroke police officer whose wife, uh, Kathleen Savio, had died rather mysteriously in 2004. And now we're going to pick up to his new relationship with Stacy Peterson, who he marries. So, um, again, I said we pick up. Where we left off, and we are in 2005 now. So, oh wait, wait, before, before part two, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we get into the nitty gritty cam, hit us with that disclaimer. So, per usual, ladies and gents, and whoever else is listening to us, all this information we've received are just facts that we've received from news outlets, um, court cases, things as such. But if anything is incorrect or you have extra information you want to tell us, please let us know. Um, we'd love to update people with, you know, correct information, more information. Um, you can hit us up at Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Podcast at gmail.com. If you can't spell it, it's a K in front of Illinois. Mm-hmm. You can also hit us up on Facebook with Killinois with Bird and Cam. Um, also like our page and shares as well. Uh, finally, you can hit us up on the page of Instagram at uh, Killinois again with Bird and Cam or at Killinois Podcast. Um, give us a shout out. Let us know if we're doing something right, wrong, uh, if you're enjoying us, all of the above, whatever. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And and that said, are we ready to do the damn thing? I'm ready to do the damn thing. <laughs> Let's go. So, we pick up where we left off the last time and we are in 2005. And as the legal disputes involving Drew and Catherine's financial particulars were tangled up following her death, Drew and Catherine's true sons eventually moved in with Drew, Stacy Peterson, and their new half-brother Anthony to the new house at Six Feasant Drive. According to Sharon Bykowski, I think I did it right, always with these names, finding commonality here, but according to Sharon Bykowski, a neighbor and friend of Stacy. Peterson had made a rather ominous comment one time, and he said, you know, my last wife died. And not thinking twice about a remark, Bykowski actually laughed and asked, okay, are you serious? And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, it was ruled an accident. That was close. Now, it disappeared to be typical Peterson humor, implying that he might have been arrested for murder as a means of shocking his audience. But I mean... Come on, why make something like of something such as murder, the mother of your kids nonetheless, and something that had just happened not even a year ago? Like, what the fuck? 
Wait, you don't talk about murder casually like that? Well, I mean, this show, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you don't talk about think... your significant others like that. Well, you know, but then if that if that isn't just isn't, isn't weird enough, around this time, Stacy gives birth to a second child, a daughter, and do you want to guess what they named the child? Let's guess. Take a guess. <laughs> she's, she's, she's chomping at the bits because now you know what he named his daughter Lacey Peterson. And we just talked about this sixth sense of humor, and I mean, we're no angels ourselves, but you know, when I was researching this and I found out like this, this really took the cake. And either you or I want to explain the significance of that name. Coincidentally, since I was just listening to the other podcast, Murder Made Me Famous, and just listened to Scott Peterson's oh. incident, um, he's uh, he's about as bad as uh, Drew Peterson, if not worse. He uh, killed his wife, who's eight months pregnant, then second degree murdered his son. I think it was his son. And what was, was the ni- what was the life? Oh, uh, wife's name? Oh, here's the best thing. Are you guys ready? Where's the drum roll? Mm. Her name was Lacey. Oh. Lacey Peterson. And that happened in 2002, 2003. And so this was so years was after. Say, he kn- he, he had to, he had to have known. Like, oh, yeah. come on. This is, this, I would hate to be that daughter. No. Yeah. I would hate to be that. But, um, let's get back to the story. Yeah. Um, so Drew and his new wife, um, as we've heard in the past, as married life would go. Um, but as we stated earlier, with most cases of Pearson marriages, yep, you guys guessed it again, there was, of course, conflict. Ugh. And according to Bykowski, she would hear loud verbal disagreements between Drew and Stacy. Sometimes the conflicts were violent. She could hear raised, some, or raised voices, and occasionally sounds of physical confrontation. Hmm. And what she states is, when I first moved here, they were more physical. But see, she would hit him back. So stuff started breaking in the house. Then he realized, she's going to hit me back, and it's going to spin out of control. Then he started following her. There seemed to be two main areas of contention between Peterson and Stacy. One, with most, most families, is money. Money, 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 money. Bykowski stated that, Peterson frequently complained about Stacy's spending. Money! And the other is probably one of the other major things was sexual jealousy. And that was going to be inedible when you got a 30-year age difference. I mean, come on. Stacy, some thought seemed, you know, she might have been a natural flirt. And she had suggestive remarks. Um, even if they were innocent. But she paid much attention to another man, and Pearson was not happy. And actually, at some point, Pearson was convinced that Stacy was having affairs behind his back. So, in September of 2006, Stacy's half sister Tina, who she was particularly close with and never approved, and who have never approved of her relationship with Drew, died of cancer. And at Tina's funeral service, according to Bykowski, Stacy had told her that at the end of the service, she and Tina's husband had stayed after, standing around Tina's casket to say their final goodbyes, and after some few minutes, they walked out together. That was when Peterson had asked Stacy, allegedly, if she was having sex with Tina's husband. Stacy obviously would be, was 
absolutely devastated by that, said Bakowski, noting that she was utterly appalled at Peterson's insensitivity. The argument between husband and wife went on to the middle of the night, and at that point, Bikowski claimed, Stacy first began talking about divorce. And so the slow buildup would continue to fester for over a year, and by that point, Stacy was advanced in her belief and discussions with Bikowski that she wanted to end things with Peterson. Uh, Candace Aiken, Stacy's aunt, later talked to reporter Joseph Hosey and echoed those sentiments, saying that she was trying to find a way to get out and take the children. Stacy was thinking of moving to California or Arizona, Aiken had said. And she also and Stacy had also told her that she wanted to take not only her own two children, Anthony and Lacey, what a name, but also Catherine Savio's two sons, Thomas and Christopher. Likely, given that one, she had no legal or blood relationship with those two boys, and Drew's indirect control over the boys' million-dollar trust fund that was also left tangled in the legal disputes with Drew and Kathleen's lawyers. But while we're on the subject of Kathleen Savio, there there lays a question of had Stacy would go on and divorce Drew. What if she was really about that smoke? Mm-hmm. You know, concerning about the unexplained death of Savio. The authors of Cold as Ice illustrated this hypothetical, or hypothetical, oh my gosh, hypothetical scenario of the mindset of Stacy that we're going to go into. And we should fill in the blank ourselves, and what we normally do. Mm-hmm. And let's try to go Miss Cleo on this Drew Peterson's mentality as well. Come at me now. That was a terrible Miss Cleo accent. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I've lost I'm track. sorry. But um, now before we go further, Stacy has always contested that Drew Peterson was with her in the same time frame that Kathleen Savio died. Now remember that. That said, the scenario that the authors point out is that what if Stacy were to recant her story from 2004? And then accuse her husband of having murdered Kathleen. Hmm. Again, it had been Stacy who provided Drew with that crucial alibi. And during that time of Kitty's death, pretty much put the nip in the butt of any hopes to facilitate a murder investigation. But if she wanted to change her story, if she were to say she didn't really know where Drew was that night, and if Drew was then arrested and convicted... Kitty's murder, would Stacy then become the boy's guardian? Mm. And then she'll be able to supervise that million dollar trust fund. Mm. And you know that a seasoned cop with an investigative and deductive background, that's going to be laying in his mind. But what if she gets goalie on me and snitches? She's getting stitches, according to Drew Peterson's mindset. Mm. That's my favorite. Snitches get stitches. Oh boy, I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> but but that said, if it would have gone down like that, and if Stacy knew that Drew had not really been with her the night Savio died, why didn't she tell anyone? And most important, given this speculation as to her potential motivation, the boys in the trust fund, was it even true? Could it have been perhaps a possible attempt at extortion on Stacy's part? And to that, what if Peterson's at his wit's end? He realizes this is a star-crossed marriage on low fuel. She's only 23. Even with two kids, she's got a lot going for her. 
and potentially a chance to somehow try and finesse a million dollar trust fund. And he's probably, again, he's got that mindset of if I've already X'd out one wife, I got the means, motives, and opportunity to add another one to the collection. And everything we've speculated last minute or so is just that speculation, rumor in any window, if you will. But what isn't, according to Caden Aiken, uh, Stacy's aunt, and keep this in mind, was the warning that Stacy gave to her, saying, if I go missing, it won't be an accident. And it mirrors what Savio had said before to her death, to a close loved one, that she said she knew that there was more than a probable chance that the end was near. And if that was to be possible, that Drew would be uh, responsible. So fucking airy. And that said, yeah, like, oh my God. And it's it's, it's like just a very disturbing premonition. Like, this is a monster that they... I guess maybe it's the way we're explaining it, but like, I'm sorry, if, if I knew something or anything like that could or will happen, I'm out. I'm bouncing. I don't give a fuck. Like, but then again, I don't have children, so I don't Right, have- yeah, and that's really, and also, not only the children that she bore with uh, Drew, but the other two children that she grew close enough to consider even taking, you know, her as her own. Yeah. So, I mean, it had to be so complicated. And enter Sunday morning, October 28th, 2007. According to Peterson himself, he got back to Six Feasant Chase Court after his night shift at the police department. He got into bed next to Stacy. She awakened and he said that he she told him that he and she intended to visit her grandfather the following morning. Peterson acknowledges, acknowledges that and fell asleep. The next thing he knew, he told reporters, was that his and Stacy's son, Anthony, came into the bedroom to wake him up, saying that he was hungry. Lacey, I, I mean, that name is just so, it's just so eerie when I say it. It's just like, I think about, oh, but try to get proud to be professional, boys and girls. So Lacey comes in the room, too, and Peterson told him to find their mother to give him breakfast. That was when Peterson said Anthony had told him that Stacy was not there. And what follows is very conflicting statements that he made to Hosey, the reporter, and another reporter, Derek Armstrong, who conducted different uh, interviews with Peterson. Armstrong reported that Peterson had told him that Stacy had said that she would go to her grandfather's house that day and was gone when he woke up. But Hosey said Peterson told him that he woke up about 9 a.m. He thought Stacy was still home, although he didn't see her. While Armstrong said Peterson told him that he remembered Stacy saying she intended to visit her grandfather, Hosey, for his part, said that Peterson said that Stacy said she was going to help a friend of her sister, Cassandra's, Bruce Zidrak, paint a house that had been rented by her brother Yelton in nearby Yorkville. Dun, dun, dun. Stories are already changing. And according to Bruce himself, he claimed that he had spoken to Stacy around 10 around 10 after 10 in the morning. And he said that uh, he sent and received several text messages to and from Stacy's cell phone around 10. And then she called him back in person about 10 minutes later. So according to Bruce, she said that she was still in bed, but that she still intended to meet Cassandra with the children and paint the house that day. And phone records would confirm this. 
as the call lasted a little over 15 minutes, mm. I would actually probably say that's a pretty long time. Yeah. Um, I'll turn to that. During this isn't exactly clear, but if Stacy indeed was still in bed, the conversation apparently occurred while Peterson was, quote-unquote, asleep by her side. And during this conversation, he must have been completely oblivious, and an hour after Anthony and Lacey had supposedly first awakened him. So he claimed he was alone. And at that time, Anthony had said Stacy was already gone. Hmm. That said, however, you have to assume that Stacy either returned to the uh, marital bed or that she wasn't really in the house at 10, 10 a.m. When Bruce called back. So that same afternoon, according to her own version of the events, Cassandra called Stacy's cell phone, but it was turned off. She called the landline. You remember what landlines were? Man. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> Those things are so cool. Oh man. Oh, oh. Back to Oh boy. Back to a simpler time. So she called <laughs> she called the landline to the Peterson house and Christopher, Drew's son, with a uh, Kathleen answered. He told Cassandra that Stacy had gone to her grandfather's house. And Cassandra said she accepted this at first, but then began to wonder. She called her grandfather's number, but no one answered. She checked around and discovered that her aunt Candace in California had talked to her father, Cassandra and Stacy's grandfather, three times that day, and that said that Stacy had never been there and never arranged for a visit. And Stacy Cassandra's grandfather lived in a retirement home, which meant that visitor arrivals were logged in, and there was no record of Stacy's visit. Finally, at 9 p.m., Peterson claimed that Stacy called him at that time only to tell him that she had left him for another man and that she had left her 2002 Pontiac Grand Am at Bolingbrook's Clow International Airport. And it followed up. Huh. Weird. <laughs> Weird. And when Cassandra is told this information, she goes straight to the police. And just like that, Stacy was officially reported missing in the early hours of Monday, October 29th. 2007. Several leads were followed in an investigation by the Illinois State Police. Uh, an exhaustive investigation at that uh, even included involvement from the FBI. At the, when it was all said and done, four search warrants were issued and carried out on Peterson's property following Stacy's disappearance, including the seizure of his firearms in both his and Stacy's vehicles. Peterson, for his part, announced his plans to retire as a Bolingbroke police sergeant effective December 2007. And in November 15th, only a couple of weeks after that, the Bolingbroke Police Pension Board voted to allow Peterson to collect his pension of over $6,000 a month, stating that current law gave them no option as he had not been convicted of a crime. And Rick Mims, Peterson's longtime friend, had admitted that he and Peterson brought three blue plastic containers from a cable company where they had worked both part-time in 2003 and provided photos of those uh, containers to police. And Mims also sold this story to tabloids newspapers. And oh, we're going to get on those tabloids newspapers in a few in a few minutes. So for undisclosed sum of money and Peterson's stepbrother, Thomas Morphy, who had a long history of drug and alcohol addiction, attempted suicide two days after allegedly helping Peterson carry a plastic container from Peterson's Bolingbroke home to his SUV. 
fearing that he may have helped dispose of Stacy's body. So that is just a a really, really just you know a serving tidbit. Yeah, that is crazy. But um, as you're saying, along with um, supposedly carrying Stacy's body, there's also been reports that neighbors saw Pearson and another man. Hauling a 55-gallon barrel, oh. large enough to hold a person, out of the house shortly after the disappearance. And Cassandra Kales, Stacy's sister, she said she wanted Peterson to take a lie detector test about mm-hmm. his knowledge of these blue containers. And she saw two, or she saw those in his garage two days before Stacy's disappearance. Joel, Joel Brodsky, Peterson's attorney, denied that any container was missing from Peterson's house. There are also reports of truckers referring to these containers, but their stories were treated as not credible after it was discovered that they had not been in the Bolingbroke area at this time. Nonetheless, and sadly to this day, Stacy Peterson has never been found, and this case is still considered open, and it's going to be hopefully we find updates yeah and, I, and, and when we finished there is something i had read in the chicago tribune i think it was earlier this month and they had interviewed i believe it was uh cassandra kells her sister who said that um and i have to you know my mind is kind of you know blanking on me but she said that she still believes that they will find uh stacy the you know stacy sooner rather than later so i mean hopefully they do just to, you know, find justice and, you know, find a closure. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, just, it's just really, really sad. I mean, and I remember when all of this was going down and I know I can speak for you as well, like the news coverage on this. And we talked about this a little on the first episode, but like the news coverage again, it was just off the fucking rails. You just couldn't I escape swear it. it's the first social light, not counting O.J. Simpson, but yeah. the first really social media shared murder case. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was just such a bizarre story. Yeah. Coming from a, a high police officer, someone who's quote-unquote good at what he did, mm-hmm. um, who had a crazy incident with his first wife mm-hmm. this is his third wife because at the time he was married like i said he already like he was the fact that he was married all these times and he and every marriage ended in some kind of shenanigan brought upon all of them yeah whether it was cheating or physical abuse and then the last two wives one ends up dead suspiciously another ends up uh, disappearing it was just disappearing, quote unquote. Yeah, this there we go. Oh Put God. those air quotes and on in. On top of that, naming his daughter after Lacey Peterson, who went which is just yeah, that uh, that is. Just, I understand dark humor, but that is far too dark. That's too fucking brazen. So between oh between November second, two thousand seven, and end of the year that year, the Peterson story was featured. For example, on 22 stories, 22 times on Greta Van Sturen's Fox Cable News show on the record and 20 times on Nancy Grace or shall I say Nancy Disgrace show. Nancy Grace. Oh, God. Oh, God. And it, should we just go on a tangent on why Nancy Grace sucks? Okay, first off, half of the facts she comes at are completely incorrect. And no, Nancy, stop being one-sided. I'm about to slap that stupid hairdo 
off your head. Well, 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 well thank, uh, thanks to uh, the grace of God that she has no more, she doesn't have a show anymore. So, I mean, uh, but yeah, just when she was on there, I remember uh, uh, as a big wrestling fan, and uh, shout out, that said, shout out to Michael Knorr. When I come to Springfield, when I come to Springfield, we got to do, we got to do that podcast. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I think, Michael, you know what I'm going to go into with uh, Nancy Grace. I'll be quick. Uh, there was a wrestler by the name of Chris Benoit who died in 2007 after going on a road rage and killing his wife and son before committing suicide. Oh, I remember that. Oh, boy. If we, you know, if that happened in Illinois, that would have been one hell of a Illinois episode, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. But that said, it was so much hoopla, so much coverage, and Nancy Grace had, you know, she had a whole bunch of wrestlers on there, and she had this list of all wrestlers who had died at a premature age, and she said that most of them died from drugs and all that stuff. You know, she said that everybody died from drugs, and some people on the list. I see, I see Sophie's uh, tail. Oh boy, I got ah. and, and by bad, but some people on the list, like there were some people who had died of cancer. There were some people who had died from a, a, a freak accident fall. Some people died of car accidents, and then to insinuate that all wrestlers were steroided up and. It was just, you know, that's what is, I never just had this disdain for Nancy Grace to this day. But back to what we were saying. Oh, man. Gotta hate her. Before uh, we do start, she just doesn't state facts. She just no. states her fucking opinion. She badgers. She badgers. Which is one one-sided. Yeah. I told you. You know you did this. And then she looks right in the camera and she goes, you. It's like, no, fuck. No, no, no. Turn <laughs> on. You bitch. You. Don't you point that finger at me. So I mean, back to, back to yeah, it was it was everywhere. It was everywhere. The Chicago Tribune and Sometimes gave this topic substantial coverage. As did the local television and radio stations, especially slows like that sleazy come dump Inside Edition, Newsweek, and People magazines got on the act. As did the National Enquirer. I mean, in short, it was a media lynch, lynch mob. And while all this was happening, the Will County State's office was petitioning. To re-exhume the remains of Kathleen Savio, a bid that was ultimately successful when it gave in and her grave was dug up on November 12, 2007. Now, during one of Van Sturen's thousands and thousands of days of coverage, it seemed on the Peterson story, she did have forensic pathologist Michael Baton on. And Baden had oversaw the re-autopsy of uh, Kathleen Savio, which was performed by Dr. Larry Bloom, an independent expert. And then, uh, on the request of the Savio family, looked at remains himself. Nice. And what Baden had to straight out say was, it's not an accident. Mm -hmm. The hair, her head hair, it was soaked in blood, as the medical examiner says. Actually, the detail wasn't in the examiner's report. But uh, state police investigator Hardy said it was water, not blood, that had soaked her hair. So, big difference right there. And what was, and Baden was saying that the laceration was a blunt force laceration on the top, towards the back of her head. And he said she had a dozen, well over eight black and blue bruises. And there were scraping abrasions all over her extremities and on her abdomen. It looked like she, from the description, that she was pretty much beaten up. Wow. Um, and if you fall in the shower, you're not going to get that beat up. But, um, what he was running, 
Mm-hmm. And one and one thing, drugs in the body, nothing on. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, my bad. We oh, had a poor, no, we had a but, uh, poor connection while you were explaining oh, that. But. <laughs> but yeah, there's nothing in her toxicology report that would raise any alarms. And there's no reason for her to have drowned. Adults just don't coincidentally drown in bathtubs. Mm-hmm. Or coincidentally casually drown. Um, especially if they're in good health. Yeah. And pretty much what Baden's description of Kitty's original autopsy, and what he said is, for anyone who knew the true facts, had to make one wonder whether Baden had slanted his opinion, mm-hmm. decide with the beliefs of those who were convicted that Peterson murdered his wife, Mm-hmm. Or these were actual straight facts, yeah. which I'm going to agree with Baden on the straight facts. So. And let me tell you something. And, and Michael Baden um, is one of the most renowned forensic pathologists in the country, if not the world. And in fact, he um, he testified in the Curtis Lovelace uh, case, which we covered in, and you can find on the archives. So, like, yeah, this guy is as top line as it comes. And if he said that you got killed, motherfucker, you got killed. This isn't his first rodeo. Yeah. And by any means. By yeah, any means. Exactly. And remember how the original autopsy said that Kathleen Safio died Monday afternoon on March 1st, 2004? Only a few hours before she was discovered. I mean, we only mentioned only 46 times the last episode. Well, mm-hmm. Baden pretty much dismantled that notion in his report saying that lividity, the setting of the body's blood to the lowest point in the body due to gravity, and the extent of rigor mortis, the stiffening of the body's muscles after death, would indicate, quote-unquote, that she was dead for a good 36 hours. Indeed, he admitted that any re-autopsy by itself couldn't shed much light on what happened, but by reading over when the, what the medical examiner and the doctor did at the time, the people who came in, various police officers made statements as to the color of the body and the stiffness of the body, and it was still possible to arrive at a fairly accurate time of death. Not even a day after his ex-wife's grave was dug up for a second autopsy, Peterson granted an interview with fellow predator Matt Lauer on the Today Show on NBC. Like, I just put that in there. Lauer had played a tape of uh, Kathleen Savio's coffin being removed from the grave the day before. And Lauer told Peterson that he'd been watching his face as the video played with the image of your third wife's casket being taken out of the ground. He wanted to know what was going through Peterson's mind. And Peterson, for his part, said it was a shame that Kitty, quote-unquote's resting place, had been disturbed for something like this. There had already been, been an autopsy, he said, implying that there was no need for another one. That Peterson, according to Coda's uh, Ice, as they speculated, did Peterson think there was no mysterious circumstances in Kitty's death? Peterson, uh, uh, well, actually, Laura asked, and Peterson said he understood exactly why the actually mentioned, oh boy, this has been a long day. No, I'll never, never pronounce these words right. Why the autopsy had been ordered, re-autopsy at that. But he had no opinion on the development. Well, did Peterson think it was a waste of time? I don't know, Peterson replied. If there was anything that happened to her, you know, it should be found out. And more and more pathologists who chimed in said they noted bruises and scrapes all over her body. There was also an inch-long deep wound resulting from a blow, hard enough to split her scalp, but not to open down to her skull. And these pathologists would point out the totality of the bruising to suggest that 
This was the evidence that Kitty had been in a struggle and forcibly drowned. But while it was true that the most significant injury, the bloody bruise on the rear of the head, could have been the cause of the falling backward. But what explained the bruising to the lower left abdomen, both shins, and injuries to the right wrist and index finger. I mean, let's think about that. Mm-hmm. Those were actually frontal injuries, probably not the result of falling backwards. And with that, there's a consensus belief that after Blum's, or Bloom's autopsy, Kathleen had drowned during the struggle, and her death was actually homicide. Wow. So I think it's even more bizarre that Drew Peterson seemingly in some weird, odd way was getting off on this quote-unquote attention. On January 23rd, 2008, for example, Peterson and his uh, attorney, Joel, Joel Brodsky, he called in to the shoot Steve Dahl, who he he kind of, kind of, Since the case began. Gotcha. Kind of, uh, oh, kind of lagging off. Well, I can, I can, I can knock it out for here. Well, okay. he had 2008, January 23rd, 2008, Peterson and his attorney had called into the Chicago radio personalities uh, show Steve Dahl, who had been mocking Peterson's exploits in the media since the case began. And Brodsky suggested that Dahl host an on-air dating game with Peterson the following day. The attorney, the attorney is suggesting this. Like, it, it, wow, I'm just fucking speechless. Like, what dark the fuck? humor again. Dark yeah, humor. by by his attorney, nonetheless. But thankfully, WJMK, who Steve Dahl was working for at the time, uh, had a heart, and the man and the station managers and Dahl, for his part, decided not to go through with it. And in the midst of all of this, Peterson hired. A publicist, Glenn Selick, and it was Selick who confirmed that in t- December of 2008, Peterson was engaged, engaged, engaged for the fifth time to get this a 23-year-old Christina Raines. On January 30, 2009, it was made public that Raines had moved out of Peterson's house. Her father, Ernie Raines, had issued an ultimatum to his daughter out of concern about the way Peterson tried to control her and what he feared Peterson would do. And Raines moved out of Peterson's home, quote-unquote, when she came to her senses, calling the engagement a publicity stunt designed to keep Peterson in the media spotlight. That's crazy. Wow. That's, this should be on Murder Made Me Famous, too. Yeah. But it would actually take 16 months or so since the disappearance of Stacey Peterson and then the reopening of Kathleen Savio's death. But a special grand jury was reconvened to determine whether or not charges would be filed in Savio's death. On May 7, 2009, Peterson was in, um, indicated... In- indicted in the case. Today's terrible, indicted by a Will County grand jury and arrested for the murder of Savio. Bail was set as at $20 million. In October 2009, Pearson sued J.P. Morgan Chase for revoking a home equity credit line. And he wanted to use a pay legal expenses, claiming his income of nearly $109,000 per year. It wasn't sufficient. Mm. In July 2010, Judge White ruled that Peterson would remain in Will County Jail for the remainder of his trial and appeals process. 
As prosecutors had argued, he could, be, he could actually pose a danger if he was released. And something about Peterson interacting with prosecutors, keep that in mind, because we're about to move on. Oh, oh yeah, oh boy, we'll keep that in mind, all right. On July 21st, 2010, it was revealed that hearsay statements indicating Peterson killed two of his wives were not reliable for a jury to hear his trial. After presiding over a lengthy hearing, the judge issued a four-page seal uh, ruling in May obtained by the Daily Herald. Um, the judge ruled that prosecutors proved Peterson killed both Savio and Stacy Peterson by a preponderance of evidence. I got that right. Yay. But nearly all statements attributed to Stacy do not provide, quote-unquote, sufficient safeguards of reality. And, I, of course, I will botch that. Reliability. The standard of proof in homicide cases is beyond a reasonable doubt. Stacy's statements were crucial to the prosecution state case, as it lacked significant direct evidence. In, two, in April 2012, an Illinois appellate court ruled that prosecutors could use eight statements made both by the victim prior to her death and by Peterson's still missing wife, Stacy, prior to her disappearance, reversing the judge's earlier decision. And Peterson's defense had contended that introduction of these alleged hearsay comments constituted a violation of his Sixth Amendment right to confront any witnesses testifying against him. And for their part, the Illinois state legislator attempted to help the prosecution with the passage of a new law called Drew's Law, which allowed prosecutors to enter hearsay statements into evidence under certain conditions. And this would factor very huge because the legislation was passed while investigations was, were still looking for Stacy, and the legislation permits courts to consider statements from quote-unquote unavailable witnesses, provided that prosecutors were able to prove that the witness was killed to prevent his or her testimony and that the hearsay statements were reliable. Analysis by the trial court under this new law led to eight out of 14 hearsay statements being ruled inadmissible because they were insufficiently reliable. Now, on appeal, however, the Court of Appeals reversed the trial court, ruling that the common law doctrine of forfeiture by the wrongdoing, which would be less restrictive than Drew's laws, would allow the statements to be admitted. All those all those months of uh, con law, yeah, I know that shit. They, try, they are doing anything they can to beat around that fucking bush, man. Yeah. <laughs> and... And Drew's Law, like we are stating, would be very crucial, as it is seen in one of the trial's most sensational moments. And this was the testimony by Reverend Neil Shorey. This was Stacy's pastor, and he testified under oath that Stacy told him that Drew murdered Kathleen Savio mm. and made it look like an accident, and that she supplied, with, she supplied him with that alibi that night. Furthermore, Jeff Patcher another witness at Peterson's murder trial, and who used to work with Peterson at a cable company years ago, testified that Peterson made the request months before Kathleen Savio was found dead in 2004 to kill his wife in exchange for $25,000, saying that the code would word to let Peterson know that hit happened related to cookies, but he couldn't exactly remember what word. Cookies. Cookies. Fucking cookie monster. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> God damn it. But on September 6, 2012, Peterson was found guilty of premeditated murder of Savio. 
Jurors admitted that the most compelling evidence was based on the hearsay statements allowed under Drew's law. On February 21, 2013, Pearson was sentenced to 38 years in prison for the murder of his third wife. He's currently incarcerated at the United States Penitentiary. Uh, Terre Haute, where's that one? That was in Indiana. Is it still in Illinois? No, uh, Terre Haute is in Illinois, and I know that. It was in Indiana. That's where okay. uh, that's where the Bears used to practice. I don't know if they still do, but that's the only reason I know what Terra Hall is. I was going to say, I know they used to practice in Decatur, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But okay, so anyways, after a number of appeals on September 21st, 2017, so last year, the Illinois Supreme Court upheld that conviction. Now, remember when you said that he was uh, sentenced to 38 years in yes. prison? Well, <laughs> Drew Peterson was charged in February 9, 2015 for attempting to put a hit on James Glasgow, the Chicago area lead prosecutor in his murder trial, after a fellow inmate tipped off prosecutors to the plan and wore a wire to capture evidence in Peterson. So in May 2016, he was found guilty of solicitation of murder and solicitation of murder for hire, and instead of 38... They tacked on an additional 40 years of prison. Can't wait till they find his uh, second murder. Oh, then yeah. That's going to be even worse. So, theoretically, uh, 76 years. Um, he's served five of that. And he is, uh, he was born in 1954, so he's 63, 64. That's pretty much, theoretically, a life sentence. He's a winner in my book. He's. I hope he. I hope he gets beat up in jail. Oh boy. Yeah. Soap. Fuck. Fuck Drew Peterson. And he took advantage of his his title. Yeah. Of his career, of everything, and took full advantage of that to get away with murder. Yeah. And it's fuck. I hate him. Tell me. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind writing him a letter though. See what his response would be. You're, you're kidding me, right? Pen paling that bitch. Oh boy. See, see, you're gonna try to like. I'm gonna start off with butter up, up to motherfucker. Him. That's the thing because okay, you start that because there's been a lot of unsolved mysteries segments where you you like they like have pen pals with prisoners and then you mm. fall for them and I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh God, no! Fuck. I don't. I don't want to see. I don't want to see the good man Adam get guilted like that. (laughs) And I have something called not having mommy or daddy issues, so I think I'm going to stay away from that. It's okay. That, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is the saga of Drew Peterson, and that uh, so complicated and and so long that it took us two parts. Yeah. And actually, it was, it, was great, it was great that it chopped up because it sounded like so, sounded in perfect harmony. Like, da, da, da. Thank, thank, thank yeah. for the connection. <laughs> or lack of connection. But, oh, man. Guys, but, uh, man, this this was a. Wow. This was a long one. Long one. And. Yeah. Very, like I said, it was very sad. I mean, hopefully. Poor kids, you yeah. know, they don't have any parents anymore. Um. Poor women that were affected by this. Um, everyone that was affected by this. This is a horrible case. Hugh Pearson can rot in hell. I'll drink to that one, pal. And mm-hmm. um, on that note, uh, guys, again, thank you so much for the support. 
Uh, hey, if we did good, if we did bad, if we did all in between, you can uh, hit us up on Killinois with Bird and Cam on Facebook. You can hit us up uh, Killinois. Oh, this has been a long day. Killinois on Gmail or Killinois Podcast on Gmail. Um, yeah. on and our, our normal Instacam there we accounts, go. Instacam 630. And you got to guess it, please. See, I know yours, and you don't know mine. What kind of problems you are? underscore your underscore oh. enthusiasm. Oh, boy, shut me up. think there's a period, too, somewhere in there? No. I, well, maybe so, but no, <laughs> yeah, I feel like, so I think there's also a period in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I know birds, too, so calm down over there, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also find us on Twitter with Birdman for America and I like stuff six three. See how that just rolled off the tongue so smoothly. I thought you were gonna say it. You gave the look like, okay, I got mine. I was like, all right, he's got it. And then I looked down, and you're like, uh, and you're saying, I was like, and on that but note, yeah, guys. This is going to be fun. I can't wait for our, our episode number 12. So episode peace out, Girl 12. Scouts. And for Cam, this is Bird. And be there or be killed. Or be bitches. killed, bitches. <laughs> Two, three. Peace out. <laughs>